Chapter Five, Part Four of Old Pioneers by Willa Cather. The Slippervox recording is in the public domain. When Frank Shabata came in from work at five o'clock that evening, old Moses Marcel, Raoul's father, telephoned him that Amadie had had a seizure in the wheat field, and that Doctor Paradis was going to operate on him as soon as the Hanover doctor got there to help. Frank dropped a word of this at the table, bolted his supper, and rode off to St. Agnes, where there would be sympathetic discussion of Amadie's case at Marcel's saloon. As soon as Frank was gone, Marie telephoned Alexandra. It was a comfort to hear her friend's voice. Yes, Alexandra knew what there was to be known about Amadie. Emile had been there when they carried him out of the field, and had stayed with him until the doctors operated for appendicitis at five o'clock. They were afraid it was too late to do much good. It should have been done three days ago. Amadie was in a very bad way. Emile had just come home, worn out and sick himself. She had given him some brandy and put him to bed. Marie hung up the receiver. Poor Amadie's illness had taken on a new meaning to her, now that she knew Emile had been with him, and it might so easily have been the other way, Emile who was ill and Amadie who was sad. Marie looked about the dusky sitting-room. She had seldom felt so utterly lonely. If Emile was asleep, there was not even a chance of his coming, and she could not go to Alexandra for sympathy. She meant to tell Alexandra everything, as soon as Emile went away. Then whatever was left between them would be honest. But she could not stay in the house this evening. Where should she go? She walked slowly down through the orchard, where the evening air was heavy with the smell of wild cotton. The fresh, salty scent of the wild roses had given way before this more powerful perfume of midsummer. Wherever those ashes of rose balls hung on their milky stalks, the air about them was saturated with their breath. The sky was still red in the west, and the evening star hung directly over the Bergson's windmill. Marie crossed the fence at the wheatfield corner, and walked slowly along the path that led to Alexandra's. She could not help feeling hurt that Emile had not come to tell her about Amadie. It seemed to her most unnatural that he should not have come. If she were in trouble, certainly he was the one person in the world she would want to see. Perhaps he wished her to understand that for her he was as good as gone already. Marie stole slowly, flutteringly, along the path, like a white night moth out of the fields. The years seemed to stretch before her like the land, spring, summer, autumn, winter, spring, always the same patient fields, the patient little trees, the patient lives, always the same yearning, the same pulling at the chain, until the instinct to live had torn itself and bled and weakened for the last time, until the chain secured a dead woman who might cautiously be released. Marie walked on, her face lifted toward the remote, inaccessible evening star. When she reached the stile, she sat down and waited. How terrible that it was to love people when you could not really share their lives. Yes, in so far as she was concerned, Emile was already gone. They couldn't meet any more. There was nothing for them to say. They had spent the last penny of their small change. There was nothing left but gold. The day of love tokens was past. They had now only their hearts to give each other. And Emile, being gone, what was her life to be like? In some ways, it would be easier. 
she would not, at least, live in perpetual fear. If Emile were once away and settled at work, she would not have the feeling that she was spoiling his life. With the memory he left her, she could be as rash as she chose. Nobody could be the worse for it but herself, and that, surely, did not matter. Her own case was clear. When a girl had loved one man, and then loved another, while that man was still alive, everybody knew what to think of her. What happened to her was of little consequence, so long as she did not drag other people down with her. Emile, once away, she couldn't let everything else go, and live a new life of perfect love. Marie left the stile reluctantly. She had, after all, thought he might come. And how glad she ought to be, she told herself, that he was asleep. She left the path and went across the pasture. The moon was almost full. An owl was hooting somewhere in the fields. She had scarcely thought about where she was going when the pond glittered before her, where Emile had shot the ducks. She stopped and looked at it. Yes, there would be a dirty way out of life if one chose to take it, but she did not want to die. She wanted to live and dream a hundred years, forever. As long as this sweetness welled up in her heart, as long as her breast could hold this treasure of pain, she felt as the pond must feel when it held the moon like that, when it encircled and swelled with that image of gold. In the morning, when Emile came downstairs, Alexandra met him in the living room and put her hands on his shoulders. Emile, I went to your room as soon as it was light, but you were sleeping so sound, I hated to wake you. There was nothing you could do, so I let you sleep. They telephoned from St. Agnes that Amity died at three o'clock this morning. End of chapter 5, part 4